Our scripture today comes from Matthew chapter 13, two little sections, starting at verse 24, and then skipping ahead to verse 36. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds along with the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you are pulling up the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned. Then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. And then at verse 36, then he left the crowd and went into the house. His disciples came to him and said, explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. He answered, the one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. The good seed stands for the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people of the evil one, and the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Whoever has ears, let them hear. The word of God for the people of God. Here in Matthew 13, Jesus is telling a series of Parables, one parable after another. And he's talking about the kingdom of heaven. If you compare Matthew to Mark and to Luke, you'll see that where Mark and Luke talk about the kingdom of God, Matthew calls it the kingdom of heaven. One of the things we'll also see in these parables is that no single parable says everything that needs to be said. The first parable in chapter 13 might be the one that we know best. It's the parable of the sower. It's a story of a farmer that goes out and he sows the seed. Just seems to sort of throw it out there. Jesus said some of it throws, lands on rocky ground, some of it lands among the thorns, some of it's on the path, but some of it lands in good soil. And sometimes we look at that and the, these other parables and we think, oh, Jesus is just speaking good sermon illustrations because preachers are supposed to tell stories and people can look at their lives as farmers and they can understand how it works. But it's not quite that way. Um, any of y'all ever planted a garden? I mean, do you just get your seed and just sort of throw it out indiscriminately? I guess maybe if you're doing wildflowers or something like that, you might do that. But if you're trying to farm, you have a finite amount of seed. You want to plant it carefully. 
The disciples there at the parable of the sower, they're confused, just like they are in our text today. Jesus explained to us this parable. And so earlier here in Matthew 13, Jesus takes them aside and he explains it to them. He says, starting in verse 11, because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them, whoever has will be given more. And they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. And then is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. This people's heart has become callous. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are you, your eyes, because they see in your ears, because they hear. Here's Jesus giving these parables that, that on the surface are easy to understand, but even the disciples don't. And Jesus is giving these parables for them to chew on. For them to think about, to work as a crowbar in their minds, to get, get them thinking about things they haven't thought of. In today's story, this parable of the weeds of the field, Jesus gives the disciples a straightforward explanation in verse 37 and following. The sower in this case, he says, is the son of man. The field is the world. The good seed are, are the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people of, of the evil one. John Wesley, in his commentary in the passage, says these are the people who have the form of godliness but lack the power. There's an enemy who sows the seed, and that's that, the, the weeds, and that's the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are the angels. We hear that, and, and it seems so straightforward. But maybe even now, Jesus isn't as clear as we'd like it to be. I can make a few observations of what I see here. First, there appear to be two forces at work in the world. There's the Son of Man, Jesus himself, who's going forth, planting the seed, bringing people to faith in him, bringing their allegiance to the kingdom of God. And then there's the enemy. Then the enemy who says, Jesus, he, he's a false prophet. Jesus, he's leading people astray. Jesus, he's making trouble. Jesus, he's going to bring the Romans in. He's going to destroy everything. Nah, don't, don't listen to Jesus. That's what the enemy says. And just like there's two forces at work in the world, those two forces produce two kinds of people. seems that free will is not the only force at work here. It's not just that people say, oh yeah, I think I'll do this. Other people say, no, no, I think I'll do that. We also see there seem to be eternal consequences here. Eternal consequences for those who are the good seed and eternal consequences for those who are the weeds. Another thing I see here is that observers, there's some observers in the parable here. They can tell the difference between the kind of plant that's growing. They can look in the yard, as we would do today, and see grass. Any of y'all see grass when you look in your yard? 
Anybody see henbit? Dandelions? Can, can you tell the difference between grass and dandelions? Grass and henbit? Can you tell the difference? How it is the story here? Somebody's looking out of the field. Master, somebody's put weeds in the yard. Those of you that battle dandelions, henbit, bahia, other things that are in your yard, who do you figure planted that? You figure your nemesis came along late one night, said, ha, I'm going to get him, I'm going to plant weeds in their yard. These two kinds of plants, the weeds and the weeds, they might not recognize themselves for what they are. So you go out and ask your grass, grass, are you grass or are you a weed? Or you go up to your henbit, henbit, are you a weed? You have pretty flowers on your purple. Have you ever seen those fields of purple henbit out there? It looks nice for a little bit until it dies, until it kills your grass. But we haven't found the focus of the parable yet. The focus of the parable seems to be the quest for purity. We want wheat. We planted wheat. We want only wheat. We want to get rid of the weeds. This quest for purity is a human quest. And it's evident in so many places. You probably see it in our current culture, in our political battles. You can see the Democrats complaining about some of their leaders. They're dinos. Democrats in name only. They don't vote for us the way we want them to. Or you have Republicans that are talking about some of their people. They're rhinos. Republican in name only. Or sometimes in the church we talk about nominal Christians. People who go and say, yeah, I'm a Christian, but they never do anything Christian. They don't act like Christians. I made a mistake this morning. I should have stayed home a little bit longer and made myself a glass of iced tea. But I was in a hurry and I went to McDonald's. And I go through drive-thru and say, I want a un large unsweet tea. And I get up there and they hand me my tea and I taste it and you know what? It's not unsweet tea, it's sugar water. Okay, they call it sweet tea, but it's sugar water. It tastes like sugar water. So I hand it back to the guy and say, this isn't unsweet tea, this is sweet tea. And he apologizes, gets me another glass, and I, I take it, and I drink it, and you know what it tastes like? Sugar water. I tell him, this is sweet tea. No, it's not. The label says unsweet tea. So not with CG's, I just threw it away. I gave up. We have this quest for purity. We want to be right. We want the church to be right. We want to make it happen. But you notice how God handles the quest for purity in this parable. Does God say, yeah, you see those weeds? 
You see those people in the body that are weeds, just root them up, throw them away. Because they're destroying things. Keeping us from who we need to be. Is that what it says? No. Strange thing here is that God rejects the urge for purity. That's surprising because sometimes purity is really good, isn't it? Like, like in my teeth. I want what I want. You have, what is it, ivory soap that says it's 99.94% pure? Pure is good, but what's that other part going to be? Dirt? God rejects the quest for purity because it's too damaging to his own people. But I can imagine that somebody else would be happy with the quest for purity. The guy that planted the weeds. And he doesn't mind if the weeds get pulled up. Sure, they're his people. But he doesn't love them. Jesus says the enemy comes only to kill, steal, and destroy. He lies to people. I will build you up if you follow me. I will build you up. Just follow me and I'll give you the pleasures of life. Don't listen to Jesus. Don't listen to God. Listen to me. Have your own way. Love his own. He's happy if we uproot him. What I see here is that although we love the quest for purity, judgment is God's job. So those are my observations. I have a few questions too. In our world, who are the weeds? Who are the weeds? Because Jesus is people. The problem with asking that question is it can become deadly. When we direct it at other people, when we look at people around us and say, is this person weak or is this person a weed? It is extremely easy for us to become self-righteous. To say, I know I'm a weed. I know I'm a planting of the Son of Man. I know I'm in line with Jesus, so if somebody differs from me, they must be a weed. Clear and obvious. So asking the question, who's the weed, who's the weeds? Can damage other people. But it can also damage ourselves when we direct it at ourselves. Am I weed? Or do I just think I'm weak? I mean, I've got this label that says unsweet tea. Well, Christian. I've got this label that says Christian. I did Christian-y things. We live in a time of high anxiety over so many things. We know that we can get things wrong. We know that we can get our identity wrong. good news is that we can find our security in Christ, not in ourselves. In John 6, Jesus says, 
All those the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. Okay, let's do a quick quiz on that. If you come to Jesus, will he drive you away? Okay, well, let's read it again. Whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. If you come to Jesus, will he drive you away? Thank you. He will not do it. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all those he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life. And I will raise them up at the last day. Asking the question, who is who in this parable? The weeds, the weeds, isn't the right question. We need to look to Jesus. And how did Jesus live this out? How did Jesus live out this quest for purity? It's just such a human quest. Do we see Jesus trying to pursue it? Well, we see Jesus still going out among the crowds. Going out among crowds, talking to him, teaching him, healing them, even when they turn on a dime and try to kill him. We see Jesus still willing to engage with the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the leaders of the people. We see Jesus willing to go talk to a tax collector like Zacchaeus who is cheating the people. doesn't look to me like the quest for purity. And I think the most important case here is the case of Judas. You look at Judas Iscariot's life. Judas acted like a weed, didn't he? He betrays Jesus, hands him over to be arrested and crucified. The Gospels tell us that Jesus knew what Judas was up to. So what did Jesus do? Do we see Jesus confronting Judas? Judas, you are a weed. I'm going to uproot you and get you out of here. Because if I don't uproot you, then, then who knows? Maybe someday Peter's, even Peter's going to deny me. Maybe if I don't uproot you, Judas, maybe all the other disciples when I'm arrested are just going to run away. But does Jesus uproot Judas? No. Jesus continued to pour his life into Judas. Continued to love him. And I think it's because even at that point he had hope for Judas. Going by what I see in Jesus. What I see him saying, what I see him doing, how I see him relating to people. It looks like Jesus has hope in everyone. Hope for everyone. That even if right now somebody is acting like a weed, it's not inevitable that they be a weed. 
Now, we, we know that dandelions are never going to turn into grass, right? We know that henbit is never going to turn into grass. But can someone who is dead set against Jesus and the ways of God become somebody that's fully aligned with Jesus? Yes. yes. You see it in the Bible. What do you know? So when I look at Jesus, when I listen to Jesus, I work on the assumption that everyone is winnable. Wherever they stand, whatever noises they make, whatever words they say, everyone is winnable. And I look to Jesus for my life. I don't look to my own performance. My performance could be exemplary. And yet, what, what does Jesus say in Matthew 7? Some people are going to come to me and say, Lord, Lord, did we not do all this awesome stuff? And yet, the Son of Man is going to say to him, Go away, I never knew you. I can't look to my own performance. I can't look to my own appearance, even to myself as weak. I have to trust Jesus. So I trust myself to Jesus. I trust the people around me to Jesus. I entrust you to Jesus. Give thanks for what God's doing in your lives. Give thanks for the way that each of you that I see are giving in to Jesus. Give thanks for His reality in your life. Pray that it'll last and continue. Fill you with joy. Let's pray. Father, I thank you today that we can find our security in you. Not in our performance, not in our resume, not in our being right, not in our being passionate, but in you. Lord, help us today to live in accordance with your word. To reject the quest for purity. The quest for purity that calls us to uproot people around us. It causes us to reject people around us. That causes us to exert and exalt our rightness over each other. Help us to love you. Love each other. Never give up. Amen. Last night, Jesus was with his disciples. He took some bread. And he broke it, saying, this is my body, which is broken for you. Take it and eat it. And he took the cup that night. He said, this is my blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Drink it and remember me. 
Father, I thank you so much today for your gift of your son, Jesus. His gift of his life, his body, his blood, all that he was and all that he had for us. Lord, as we come and receive today, pour out your spirit on us. Set us free from our sin. Let us experience afresh the reality of our being united to you through the Spirit and united to each other through the Spirit. Let us come and receive in repentance and love and joy and peace. Amen.